0: You're listening to the Real Health Podcast by Ebony May.
1: Like if you want to risk your own life and do dangerous stuff with your skin to have like this healthy glow, you know, whatever they want to call it, go for it. But then to promote it to other people is just so dangerous. And we need to get to the point where we see sunbaking the same way we see smoking. That act of sunbaking or the act of smoking, it's killing you. Melanoma is the number one cancer for people aged 15 to 39. I would say 90% of the people listening, that's you.
0: happy friday and welcome back to the real health podcast as always i'm your host ebony may and i'm really excited for you guys to listen to this interview i think that it is a really really important one and one that really touched me and has made me want to make a few changes in my personal life so this is an interview with courtney mangan courtney is a female business owner podcast host and in light of enduring melanoma not once but twice a skin safety advocate Courtney Bradley shares her experience through her social media and podcast, She Was The Fire, a guide to living your best damn life, whatever that means to you. In this episode, Courtney opens up about her skin cancer journey, how she feels about the glamorization and promotion of sun tanning, the changes that have been catalyzed by her experiences over the past few years, and how she maintains a positive mindset through challenging times. As I said, this is a really important episode and an important message that Courtney is spreading, so I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Without further ado, here is Courtney. Courtney, welcome to the Real Health Podcast. So excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, so I start every single podcast the same way, which is asking my guests, what does the idea of real health mean to you? I've had this on your other podcast, and I was thinking, like, what can what can I answer?
1: Because like, to be honest, I'm not the person that's like out there working out every day and you know, like having the perfect diet. I think I'm more of like the the every girl that, you know, tries really hard and sometimes stumbles. So I think for me. Um, real health means like a healthy relationship with my body and a healthy mind. So I'm really big on like the mental health side of things because like your mind is where you live. So for me, it's like my mental health is the most important thing to me. And so if that means that like working out or feeding your body better, is like what gets you to that real health stage and that's excellent. Or maybe it's like other things that you've discovered that are best for you. So I think for me, real health is like knowing what's best for your mind and body and soul, I guess, as well.
0: <laughs> mm, what do you find is the best for you to exercise your mental health? Well, I think the biggest Thing for me
1: is sort of knowing myself well so I think one of my strengths like thankfully I'm not somebody that does struggle from any mental health issues like anxiety and depression I'm really thankful for that I um, mean I think that one of the, the reasons for that is that I have the ability to kind of assess at all times so if I am having a day where I feel like a bit shitty or I'm you know like I'm a bit low or I'm angry whatever it is straight away I'll be like what was the trigger like what's caused this so I feel like there's a flow on reaction from things usually with me. And so I straight away try to identify things. So I'm quite self-aware to recognize like what's going on. Even when I have good days and I'm really happy, it's like, well, what triggered that as well so I can continue to replicate it? So for me, that's like what is Mm -hmm. my sort of, I guess, my strength with my mental health. It's just always being aware. And when I am in a bad mood, just making sure that I figure out why and then try to counteract that rather than just sort of sitting in it and then getting, you know, lower and lower and lower.
0: Yeah, I think I think that self-awareness is a skill that that is so, so helpful in, in every aspect of life. Have you always been really good with self-awareness? Uh, yeah, I think it is something that my
1: brother's like extra good at it. Um, And I think that sometimes it's it can definitely be a double-edged sword where it's like, especially for women, you can be a little bit too self-aware and then you could focus on all those negative sides of yourself. So I think it's important for it to be balanced that you know both your good and bad sides. It's not just about focusing on all the things that maybe you need to work on. But yeah, my family is like pretty good at um you know giving you shit when you need to and bring you back down to earth and so I think from a young age I've kind of it was never really that family that was like big on participation awards it was like no no first is what you need to, you know what I mean? So it's kind of pushed you, but then even if you didn't get first, it was like, that's okay. Like, you know, cross country is not for you, but I did see you walking and then I'll hear about how I walked at cross country for the rest of my life (laughs) when I was in grade seven, you know? So I think it probably was ingrained in me because my family, like, whilst they're very supportive, it's also a very realistic environment. Mm,
0: I love that so much. I can resonate with that. I've got three siblings and my brother is not even two years younger than me. So we were very competitive growing up and very similar.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Close in age, I can bet.
0: Okay, so the first segment is the real recap or little court report. If you could give us that, just the last seven days. Um, I think for me, Uh, I've been in like it's a bit of a transition phase for
1: me in my life at the minute I think Um, and even for our businesses so the final quarter of every year for the businesses that I work in and run is always the busiest time of year and so because we're approaching that time now um, it's all like a very planning, getting ready, ramping up, kind of getting ready for all of that stuff so it's um, a lot of meetings and preparation and brainstorming, creative like chats and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I've been doing most of my time. And we've been doing photo shoots and stuff for the brands that I work with. And then for myself personally, I'm kind of, um, I guess, focusing a bit more recently on like where I'm headed, where I want to be going, what I need to achieve that sort of what I want my life to look like, what are the steps I need to take and like really thinking about where I'm at because I think that sometimes it's easy to kind of wake up one day and be like oh what did I do for the last three years (laughs) you know what I mean it's almost like you know when you Mm -hmm. drive to work sometimes and you're like I have no memory of you now what road I took to get here you're just like on autopilot and I think that Mm -hmm. I had been doing that for a while for the last few years and then um now I'm just trying to be very mindful of like okay so what is it that I actually want my life to look like in a few years? And what are the steps I can take to get there? Or am I happy with this? Or what do I want to change? And so um, this week has really been about like goal setting. I had, um, I've been talking a lot to Georgie Stevenson, who um, focuses a lot on goal setting and stuff. And she kind of changed my mentality around that. And so I've been really like focusing on um, starting my own, like another business. I already have three, but I'm thinking about starting another. So it's been like a week of Planning and that kind of stuff, I guess, for me. Nothing too exciting, but just
0: like thoughts and getting pen to paper, I guess. Yeah, I saw that you interviewed Georgie as well. I did the uh, round one of the Rise and Conquer project too. So, um, oh, you. Mm, yeah, so I, it was interesting for you to talk a little bit more about what what sort of hit home for you Um, and it's I've loved that speaking to a few people who have done it because it's made me want to do the course again I think I'm going to go back and do it while round two is doing it just because when you like when you were talking about limiting beliefs I was like oh my god that is so important or like I realized what are my other limiting beliefs like I think it's self-development it just never ends it's like always more that you can go back and do
1: yeah exactly and I think for me like I know this is probably a limiting belief but I do like to do things sort of one at a time and I think with Georgie's course it was kind of encouraging you to think about all of your goals in one hit and then every week you're trying to like what are the beliefs for that what all those goals so I think for me it might be better if I just focus on one thing and figure out what all the limiting beliefs are with that and what the steps are I can do to overcome it and then once I've done that move on to the next thing I think that's what will work best for me anyway but yeah I think refreshing that stuff is always a good idea.
0: Okay, so could you just give me the elevator pitch of who you are and a bit about your work? And just if you met someone on the elevator and they said, "Who are you? What do you do?"
1: Oh wow, I've never actually thought about an elevator pitch before. I guess um, okay. I'm Courtney Megan. I'm 34 years old, um, born and bred on the Gold Coast. I own two businesses. One's called Spin and Co. It's a branding agency. The other one is called The Spin Studio, and it is a network for podcasts. And I'm also the creative director of a skincare brand called James Cosmetics and um, I'm just like a pop culture addict, I guess is what I would say about my social life.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love following you as well. It's so funny hearing your voice because I'm so used to hearing your voice, whether it's on the podcast you do with your brother or like your own podcast or your stories. So yeah, I keep I keep forgetting that I need to talk back to you because it's two ways. <laughs> <aged. laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I have to like
1: make sure I pause for you to talk because I'm used to just talking to myself <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay so I want to get into the thick of things and maybe some people will know who are listening maybe some people who won't but um I definitely I think that the message that you're spreading through your social media well one of the messages you're spreading through your social media I just wanted so badly to have you on the podcast because it emulates everything that I am about so in 2017 you found out that a mole on your back was melanoma And I think sometimes we associate melanoma with people who constantly sunbathe and never wear sunscreen. So given your vigilance around the sun and sun protection and skin checks, how did you feel when you were diagnosed with melanoma?
1: Well, I mean, for me it was like... To be honest, I was very vigilant with sunscreen, but I wasn't ever super vigilant with my skin checks. That was the first skin check I actually had by a specialist. I had a couple from GPs that said that the mole was fine prior to that. Um, But I had kind of put off my skin checks, which was pretty stupid given my dad has scars all over his back from skin cancer. He got his first skin cancer at 12 years old. Um, And my uncle... Passed away from melanoma. So it was a pretty stupid thing for me not to have gotten checked. But I think you just always think it'll never happen to you. And I had kind of been told, because I have brown eyes and red hair, that that's a better combination than red hair with green or blue eyes. Um, and that people with that combination are more prone to melanoma. So I guess I was pretty naive. And the fact that I always wore sunscreen, I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. Um, and I was never someone that, like, I do not really ever go out and sunbake. You know, I wasn't like ever trying to get a tan because usually I would just burn. But what I discovered, it's more that sort of incidental sun that you don't realize. Like where my mole was, was exactly where the sun would hit me every time I would drive to work on the back of my right shoulder. And it was that that ends up getting me not the you know the few times that I was on the beach and forgot to reapply my sunscreen you know what I mean it was that like every single day in that one spot that I wasn't applying sunscreen because I was like oh it's just 15 minutes in the car you know oh I'm just walking to get coffee down the road it's not a big deal but it's it is you know UV rays are dangerous when whenever and how long however long they are you know so that's what um, was shocking for me. And I, I think my first diagnosis, to be honest, was very different to the second one. I was just like, oh, I was stupid. I should have got checked sooner. And that was pretty much just my how I felt, honestly. <laughs> I just felt like it was my fault and I was stupid. And that was really all it was.
0: You said, and I heard in the podcast as well, that you got a few GPs to look at it. Did you feel annoyed or angry that they'd said it was fine when it wasn't?
1: Um, I mean like at the end of the day I guess I'll never know it could have just turned bad when I finally went to the specialist because moles do change over time so um, however it was in pretty close succession Um, even my specialist when he checked my body I said to him he said looks fine and I said what about this one and he said looks fine to me but we'll get it looked at just in case so even he thought that it did look fine Um, but yeah I'm not gonna lie like I do wish that they had said something and maybe just gotten a bit safe than sorry and had it checked initially with the GP but all I do is blame myself my dad told me to go to a skin specialist and not to trust a GP because it's not their job to look at moles every day and so I should go to someone who that is solely what they do every single day so I I really just blamed myself
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you've definitely inspired me when things are open back again and I'm back in Geelong to go and get a skin check because I haven't had one. I have asked GPs about, I have a few moles, so I've always gotten them to check them, but definitely am going to be more vigilant about that. So thank you. That's good to hear. love that. So I think the thing about your story, like you just said, that really got me was the fact that it is all the incidental things that you don't really think about. So on the flip side, if we know that you know, that is detrimental as well. How does it make you feel when influencers promote or glamorize tanning? And what do you think we need to change in today's society to take sun safety more seriously?
1: I mean, oh God, it's it's everywhere on Instagram. And there's even an influencer who's just launched a bloody business that's like a melanin heightening product or something like something that you take to go out Mm -hmm. in the sun and like get a better tan it's one that sort of shit shouldn't be allowed on the market and the government needs to look at what they're doing around restricting these kinds of products even products where it's like you know um, I'm not going to name any brand names actually but it's like that it's a, a tanning oil with SPF that's also a load of crap. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? That sort of stuff shouldn't be allowed in the market either, especially here in Australia. You know, maybe it's a little bit different with countries that aren't as close to the equator as us, but it's just so dangerous. Um, And then to see that influencers are promoting that, it's one thing to know that they're doing it, but it's another for them to, like, if you want to risk your own life and do dangerous stuff with your skin to have like this healthy glow, you know, whatever they want to call it, Go for it. But then to promote it to other people is just so dangerous. And we need to get to the point where we see sunbaking the same way we see smoking mm. because it's exactly the same. That act of sunbaking or the act of smoking, it's killing you. It's exactly the same. And it's something you're causing to yourself. And it's just so dangerous. You know, melanoma is the number one cancer for people aged 15 to 39. And that is what I would guess. I would say 90% of the people listening to that, that's you, mm. you know, and it can happen to anybody and it's something that you can control. Something like 80% of skin cancers are something that we caused ourselves because of the sun. Imagine being told that you have like stage four cancer and knowing that you probably did that to yourself. Like it's unfathomable that you'd then go out and be like, oh, but I look skinnier when I'm tanned. Like how do you look when you're dead? you know what I mean like it's yeah. just not worth it especially when fake tans are so good now you know I, I would love to say that I wish as a society we would get to the point where we don't see tans in a way that's like oh it's just healthier you know or it's sexier when you have a tan and I would love to, that, to get to a point where it's like we see porcelain skin just as flattering as we do tan skin but that's probably unrealistic so you know at least with fake tans there are so many good ones on the market you don't have to put your health at risk in order to wear them so I just can't see like why people would put themselves at risk other than naivety you know what I mean that's why I'm trying to get my story out there because it's like if it can happen to me at 30 years old it can happen to anyone I wasn't even someone who was regularly sunbaking or anything you know mm. so it can happen to everyone and my dad you know like he has very different skin to me he's very tanned he like goes out and plays golf all the time he was always out you know surfing and doing sports and stuff so you can see how that happened to him he grew up in a time where no one wore bloody sunscreen but, you know, my skin's completely different, but it still happened to me as well, you know, so it can happen to anyone. I just, I wish that influencers would realize that regardless of whether they want to be somebody's role model, if you have a following, you have to have a sense of responsibility.
0: Yeah, I I think so too. And I think it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be an advocate for anything, just do no harm. I think that, these messages and the the um, the ideals that they're portraying are actually harmful, and I think it's based around the fact that when we see other people doing it and they're fine and they look great or they look healthy, we it lessens the fact that it might be dangerous. And I grew up with my mum has red hair and is just the most sun smart person I know. She hates the sun, so it was definitely I was raised with one extreme. But then as I started becoming a teenager and I would see. Um, even like in magazines and social media, that it was such a a glamorized thing to line the sun with oil. I thought, oh, well, they're doing it and they're fine. It must be fine. I thought, oh, my mom is just overprotective. But as I got older and learned that, no, it, it actually isn't fine. These people are damaging their skin. Like we won't know for a while. It's just crazy that it's almost like when you see, it's like wanting someone to cross a rickety bridge before you, like they do it, and they're like, "Oh, it's cool, like I, I can do it." So, I think it's like a mob mentality. You feel like it's fine to do it because others are doing it. But I think that's why your yeah. message is so important to spread because we need to drown out that other absolute ridiculousness. <laughs>
1: Yeah. and like if influencers want to do it themselves and put themselves at risk like that's each their own you know like i i would never i'm not really this person that would message someone and be like this is dangerous or whatever i see, you know i've see people with tanning oil in the corner of the the beach towel and they're not promoting it so you know that's their their own thing if they want to do that but ones that are promoting it like it's silly and you know a tan is actually your skin cells in trauma that's why it's comes up as a different skin tone because your cells are in trauma so like it's it's actually not healthy at all and the problem is is even the language that we use like people will be like if you're not tanned oh are you sick
0: mm. because
1: you not, you know, it's like it's even the opposite. There's all these negative connotations with being pale or it's like, oh, you look like Edward Cullen today. You know, it's like all those kind of negative things that people say, like you're a vampire or like get outside, get some, you know, healthy sun, get a sun-kissed glow, you know, and it's like, no. That is deadly. I don't want to be out of the sun. So yeah, it's it's hopefully one day it changes, but it does. I, I mean, slowly, and you know, I do feel like in my feed there are more and more people. You know, like Steph Claire Smith talks about these things regularly, and the Shameless podcast promotes a lot of stuff. Mecca did a whole campaign around sun safety, and it's great to see people talking about it more, especially people like Steph Claire Smith, who in the past have you know sunbaked and promoted you know that kind of healthy glow, and now she's changing the way that she she discusses tanning so that's great to see.
0: Yeah, oh definitely. I just hope we see more of a more of a turnaround. But yeah, that is that is really good to see. So I want to talk about, well, I would love you to talk about the actual experience of having it removed and the surrounding lymph nodes as well. How did you feel like, I guess, physically and then emotionally after that? And were you able to sort of feel at ease after it was removed or were you sort of constantly on edge wondering if it had spread or if it had worsened?
1: It's kind of a, a hard. So initially when I had to, when I found out I had the diagnosis, I was Very stressed. Um, They had to, they couldn't really tell me like if it had spread or anything until they kind of got in there. So it was those few weeks where I just had to wait. There was no further tests or anything. It was just like, yep, it's melanoma. We need to chop it out and just like that waiting game. Um, And then they did the um, tests and saw which lymph nodes it spread to. So they took that. And then you have to wait like another week or so before you actually get the results um, to find out like did they get it all? Like, how bad is it? That kind of stuff. And they were happy with the margins that they got. Um, And there's definitely always something in the back of your mind. Everything I know about melanoma is that it comes back. That's pretty much the be all and end all that I know, knew about it, that everyone I knew that had had any kind of serious melanoma, they got it again. My dad got it again. My uncle got it again. A lot of influencers that talk about um, their story online. Um, it came back for them. So I just thought to myself, it's okay. I'm getting checked every three months. You're being vigilant. They'll just catch it early again. And it will just be another scar, which is what it always had been for my dad. And I just thought it's okay. Like just as long as you're on top of it. So there's like, I think that whilst I thought I was going to get it again, I also was naive and thought that it would just be the same situation where they would just cut it out and it would all be over pretty quick. Um, And I think that that's another thing that people think is just like, oh, you just chop it off and you you're done with it. And it's not always that easy, unfortunately. So initially, like once it was out, I felt like good, like finally it's out of my system and now I just need to stay on top of it. So that was kind of proactive is how I just felt about it, I guess.
0: Mm -hmm. And then you realized you had a lump, which then led to your diagnosis of stage four cancer. And you've said before you were angered almost by this because you didn't know that you should be looking for a lump. So how did you initially process this diagnosis? And was there anything in particular that helped after experiencing that emotional trauma? Yes,
1: yeah, so that was last year in 2019. I, um, at the end of, in November, I kind of felt like this weird thing on my arm and didn't really think much of it. I thought like, oh, maybe it's like a boil, boil or something forming. And like, I, you know, we're looking for moles here, not lumps so I didn't really think much of it but then after a few days when nothing kind of came to the surface like if it was a boil or a pimple like eventually there'd be something on my skin that you'd see um and then when I sort of showed my dad he was like oh you need to go get that looked at um and then when I found out that it was at the time they told me that it was stage four cancer a few months later it was then um, rediagnosed to stage 3b um, but at the time I was furious like I was so mad that was like obviously shock was the first emotion but I pretty much went straight to anger because for three years I had been doing everything right I went to these stupid skin checks I have to do and I had to get fully naked because like they have to check everywhere normal people just get like a normal overlook but I have to like bend over while I'm naked hold my boobs up it's like very <laughs> Confronting, you know, my doctor's male as well. It's not fun. They like go through every inch of my scalp. It's like a whole thing that I have to do every three months. I have to pay for it because I want to get like the good specialist, you know. So it's like a whole thing that you have to do. And then every four months, on top of those, every three months, I had to drive to Brisbane for the Brisbane specialist to check like the post surgery thing. Like, so they check the scar and make sure nothing was forming around that. And then they just glance over my skin, ask me some questions if I've had a fever or whatever. And I did that for two two years. So I was like being looked at by so many people, but nobody was like touching and feeling for lumps. I wasn't checking for lumps and nobody had told me that melanoma was lumps. I always thought it was just melanoma like um moles and freckles or like once it's like in your organs, like you can't you can't feel melanoma growing in your stomach or anything you know so I had always thought that it was that and I I, and it's like literally like 10 centimeters from the original mole I didn't even have to go far to find it why wasn't anybody checking and quite often it'll come back in a similar spot so that made me angry too because it was like well, why wasn't somebody checking for lumps at least around the area you know, why didn't somebody tell me to look for lumps in the area? And uh, I didn't know how long it had been there. I'd lost 45 kilos just prior to finding it. So it was like, has that been there the whole time? Is that just growing now? Has it been there for two years? Like and at the time when I had my first melanoma, they didn't actually do any tests. They cut it off and then chopped it out. But there was no like actual looking for other spots in my body kind of thing. They just did all isolated tests like right on that mole. And so now when you, it's a different protocol now and you get like full PET scans of your body and stuff. But um, yeah, I was like, has it been there the whole time? And it's just been getting worse and worse and worse, you know? And so I was pretty mad to begin with. And that was, um, I think what like gave me the the passion to then talk on Instagram about this. Like I think that it was on the Friday I got the diagnosis at four o'clock. And then on Saturday morning, I recorded my first IGTV telling people what was happening. Um, and it was just like, check for lumps, check your skin, wear sunscreen. I was just mad that I thought I can't control what's happening to me. Maybe I can save somebody else for going through this because I was so angry that I felt like the system had let me down.
0: So and I, that leads well into what I was going to ask next. But that's such a short time, you know, coping with yourself and then and then sharing it. And I know that you want to help others who maybe like, or help others avoid the situation you've gone through, but that can't be easy to be speaking about it. Even now, like it's a really heavy topic. So what do you attribute your mental strength and resilience to?
1: I think for me, I've always been an oversharer. Like if I, my friends say that I get the man flu because... I'm like, I'm so sick. Oh my God. I don't feel well. You know, it's like, whereas the rest of my family are like, (laughs) no, I'm not sick. I'm completely fine. Whereas I'm like telling everybody around me that I'm not feeling well. Um, and so everybody says that I get the man flu. And I'm always the kind of person that if I don't like something, I'll say it. If I'm frustrated, I'll say it like, obviously in a nice way, but like, if I'm, you know, my friend does something that I'm not comfortable with, I'll say it straight away. If somebody uses a term in front of me that I don't think is like appropriate, I'll say it like I'm just always someone that's always said everything. And I've always shared, like I I vent a lot to my friends and family. That's how I handle things. I don't bottle things up. I just get it out and then I can move on with it. And so I think that this was just another form of that, where I could just get, and I think it also was, And it sounds weird because it's like you're putting yourself out there for the world. And I did IGTVs where I was crying and I was saying things that maybe weren't um, the perfect thing to say, you know, that I was experiencing the thoughts in my head and stuff. But when I was telling a lot of my family and friends, I had to deal with their emotions when I would tell someone I had cancer, you then had it come straight back at you, their emotions of how it impacted them. And you all of a sudden are consoling other people about something that's happening to you. And that is a very difficult thing to kind of feel like, okay, I understand you're upset, but like, I'm the one going through it. Or like, because you're a little bit angry, like if someone doesn't say exactly the right thing, you feel like, oh, like, you know, my friend would get up and be like, oh, God, I've got a headache. And I'd be like, yeah, but I have cancer in my head. You know what I mean? I became very resentful of like the way that people around me were Mm -hmm. kind of handling it. Or my family were very big on like, oh, you know, but it could be worse. It's all right. And we're kind of downplaying a little bit. And I found that very difficult. Whereas when I was putting an IGTV story up, I could just say everything I wanted to say and no one was there to respond. And it was almost like a diary like a, where I could just get all of my thoughts out and then, you know, no one, like then obviously you get people that reply later on. But in the moment when you're feeling the emotions, when you're recording the video, you're just putting it all out there and you're just getting your emotions completely out as raw as they are, and then later on you upload it and then you're kind of in a different state of mind to be able to then hear people's silver linings or support or whatever it is, you know. So I actually in a way found it like a little bit easier because it just was this great emotional outlet for me. It was almost like a therapist, you know, you tell your therapist everything, you blurt everything out and then they don't say anything until you're completely done, whereas your family and friends want to like console you or then you have to console them and it's like a whole thing, you know, and you're playing with somebody else's emotions when you're like dealing with Mm. your own and so I don't know but it just was like actually kind of freeing to be able to just like put it all out there unfiltered the way that I wanted to not having to wait on somebody else's reaction for it does that make sense I don't even know
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no it does and I want to touch on something that you talked about I think that was it hard to navigate when somebody would make a complaint, like even if it was just something silly like a headache, how how did you navigate that? Would you ever bring that up or did it make you, like you said, you started to feel a little bit resentful. How did you combat that? Well,
1: again, like, as I said, my strength is like recognizing what the hell's going on with me straight away. And so I would immediately check myself and be like this is just a symptom of what you're going through like you don't actually like hate your friend because she's got a headache um but it would (laughs) still happen all of the time and then at one point one of my friends was going through a breakup at the same time as I was going through fertility treatment because I had to freeze my eggs because of the cancer treatment before I started and at one point during the field and, and just making the decision to stop to pause cancer treatment in order to save my eggs was a very difficult thing for me to do. And I had a really hard time with that because I was so scared that the cancer would grow in the meantime. Um, and because obviously they give you all these hormones and stuff, like, is that making it grow faster? Like I was really terrified to pause that. And so that was a really big decision for me. And then in the middle of the fertility journey, Um, The doctor was basically like, "Eh, you don't really have a lot going on down there. We might not be able to get any eggs. So I had a very difficult time because one, I just put something that, you know, was very important on pause and now it could have been for no reason. I was having a hard time then. And my friend then decided that that was the time that she wanted to like, you know, think about considering breaking up with her boyfriend um, of like a very long time. And she's trying to talk to me about it. And I didn't have anything for her. I couldn't listen to her, and it was very genuine. She's going through a very hard time, and I, you know, but I, I didn't have any of my own energy to be able to give her support and hear her complain about how she wasn't happy in her relationship when I was going through something so serious. So I actually had to say to her, like, I'm really sorry. But I, I need a break from our friendship because I have to be my own best friend right now. I don't have anything for you and it's actually affecting my mental health. I'm so sorry, but I just can't. And I just ha- you just have to be honest. I had to sit down with my parents and say, when you say to me, oh, but at least it's not this bad or at least, you know, you can do this, it actually makes me feel like I'm a drama queen for being upset about having cancer when you say that. And, you know, I had to say to them, like, this is how you make me feel and I really need you to, like, if you want to have those reactions, you need to talk to each other about them and I need you just to hear me when I'm telling you that I'm sad and just be like, it must be so hard. I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. Not, like, try and cheer me up in the moment because that's not, you know what I mean? It makes me feel like I'm ungrateful for not. if someone else has it worse or, you know what I mean? Like, that, that wasn't helping me. So it was just about having these very, difficult conversations with myself and everyone around me, just to be clear, like I stood up in front of my staff and, you know, we have like 15 staff and I would say to them, this is what I need from you. I was just so clear with everyone, exactly what I needed from all of them, because I, I didn't, I didn't have the luxury of like allowing everyone to react the way that they wanted to react. And I just said, like, I understand it's upsetting for everyone. It's not just, you know, it's not just happening to me, it's happening to all of you, but you need to find support from your friends. I can't be your support. So you need to talk to each other. And this is what I need for you to do for me. So it was just about being really clear.
0: I can't imagine that that would have been an easy thing to do and I feel like some people who might be going through a similar situation are thinking Courtney I cannot do that like I can't I can't have that conversation what would you say to people who who are struggling they realize and they can recognize that they just need to go inward and they can't deal with everyone else's emotions plus theirs what would you say to them in that moment
1: I mean as crass as this sounds, the cancer card does get you some leeway. So for me to say, I have cancer, I need to talk to you and have an honest conversation. People go, okay, yes. They all of a sudden listen because it's like, you know, it it is. And even when I was going through my fertility treatment, I was like, oh my God, you know, is there any chance I could get a discount because I'm doing this because I have cancer? I would get discounts left, right and center through my fertility treatment because, you know, I, I would say literally the cancer card, it does play it. You've got Why not? It's fucking shit that you've been dealt this card. You may as well use it. And so I would say to my family, like, this is happening to me. I have cancer. It's very serious. I know that you're not going to like hearing this, but I need you to hear what I'm saying. And so they would immediately sit down. Whereas if I was just like a normal day and I was like, mom, I don't like it when you say this to me, she would be like, I don't care. I'm going to say what I want. You know what I mean? Whereas now it's like, no, because it's I have cancer. We need to talk more seriously about it. And people respect that. They understand that you're going through this hard time. And if you need to be supported in a certain way they understand. I would just try to be as specific as possible because it's like those kind of very like vague things where it's like I just need you to be more supportive like that doesn't really help at all it was like when you did this this is how it made me feel and instead what I would prefer is if you did this or you know like just very specific how it makes you feel and what they can do next time to improve that and nipping it in the bud don't wait till they do it 20 times do it straight away and be like you know I just told you this and that's now what you've done is like how that's made me feel and I know and I think also acknowledging that you know that it's never their intention no one's telling whinging that you didn't get enough sleep last night it wasn't anybody's intention to say that's worse than cancer obviously nobody's trying to offend me but I'm in a very heightened emotional state and that's going to happen some days some days things are going to get to me more than others and so just being honest with people about that and everyone was very supportive once I was able to sit down with them rather than like biting their head off you know like after letting it build up over weeks, I was able to like really have honest conversations with people. And I even had like one of my best friends, she said to me, what is the best way that I can support you? And that's what I would recommend to everybody who has a family member who's going through something difficult to ask them. Don't assume what you want is what's right for them. How you would want to be cared for or supported is not how everybody else wants it. You know, some people want silver linings and some people just want you to you know, Misery Loves Company, sit there with me and be like, this is shit, this is unfair and some people want that and some people want tough love, you know. You just need to ask someone how, did, how can I best support you, you know.
0: Mm. I think that people around you would appreciate it so much just knowing how to act around you and I think it's so funny because we we imagine that we would like to treat people the way that we would like to be treated in that circumstance and we think that that's how people are acting but sometimes I think we go into this weird default sometimes when we don't know what to do and that particular saying like oh it could be worse don't tell me that that's going to make you like that does not make anyone feel better like if someone's like oh that's what makes me feel better
1: Mm. (laughs) would it though it's like when you tell someone to calm down it's like that that, that's not making me calm (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's a bad option
0: are there any changes that you've made in your life as a result of this experience with skin cancer like do you think your perception uh, on life or your definition of success or any goals or desires have altered or been influenced by your journey
1: oh yeah i've had i would say a, a really big change in my life so um, I think that my reaction was a little bit different to a lot of people that I've heard of anyway, when I didn't really go through that sad, depressed kind of stage. I went straight for like, I'm angry and I'm taking action. And one of those things literally, I'd say two or three hours after I had received the diagnosis. And that, you know, it was very harsh. The doctor sat there and said, You've got a 50-50 chance of dying here. Um, I straight away went, like, what's my bucket list? If I died today, what would I regret? What can I do to fix that so that I, you know, I have time? I'm not going to die tomorrow. This, you know, this kind of thing takes time. So, you know, it took my uncle. It was like seven years, I think, from his start to finish of all the treatments and things that he went through. So I was like, you know, it could be a few months, but it's not going to be tomorrow. So, like, what can I do? Look at my life. What changes do I want to make? What regrets would I have? What can I do to turn those around? Um, and I just really like started taking a lot of action. It was a lot of personal growth. I had been focused a lot on building my business and I was kind of hiding myself in my job I guess like I would just work non-stop and not work on myself and when I looked at my bucket list it wasn't things like skydiving or you know see the pyramids or things like that it was more like basic things like I didn't do anything I was really passionate about you know it was like little things like that it's like I didn't wake up every day and feel like Joy, you know, it was like little things that it was like I can really take effect now. I can turn those things around. You know, like I don't think that I had very good habits, and I can turn those around. You know, it was all those little things, and so since then, I I've taken like lots of personal growth courses, just like the course we talked about at the start of this podcast. You know, I listen to informative podcasts all the time. I'm reading lots of books now, um, and it was really about assessing every inch of my life, like within an inch of its life, I was looking at everything. Like I was looking at even my staff and my business. I had to be very, you know, I I own my business with my brother and the way that it's set up is that I manage the staff and he manages the clients. And I looked at the staff and I thought I'm micromanaging everyone here that if I die tomorrow, Sam is going to be stuck with a bunch of people who don't know how to function without me. And that's not a good way to run a business. So I then spent months training the staff. I still do it and making sure that like, if I wasn't here tomorrow, the business would still run just as though I was never there. And that was like really important to me to make sure I was setting up all of those things. So for me, it was just like about taking actions. There has been big changes um, with that. And even my mentality of like, not letting things get to me as much. It's like it doesn't, it's not that deep, you know what I mean? Like let it go, it doesn't really matter because it's not as big as cancer, you know? Um, and then it's like I, it was full of excuses. That That would be like I would say my go-to trait prior to this. It was like everything was an excuse, like why I can't start this, why I can't do that. It was just like every day I wanted to do these things. I had these great ideas. I had all this potential but then I had excuses that would like I'd allow myself to stop me from doing things. And so that kind of lifted then. And it was like, I'm done pretending to be someone that I'm not. I'm done not doing the things I want to do. Just like stop making excuses and just do it because this could be it. You know what I mean? If we get down the track in a year's time, this cancer does get me. Do I want to have wasted that being scared that I might die? No. I want to make sure that the 12 months I had left, I did you know, I got the most out of it and yeah, it's a little bit different for me. I think some people might like quit their job and, but go travel around the world. I mean, obviously not right now during COVID, but for me, like I I love my business and my family works here every day, you know, so it's like I wanted to make sure that if I did leave, I left this in a good position so that everyone in my family still had jobs and everything was still running, the doors would still be, you know, open, it wouldn't be like a complete train wreck and that my life was still like full of my friends and family and all that kind of stuff. I was just content with kind of what I had, but I just had to tweak a few of the things and sort of be more myself I guess.
0: With all of this in mind, I want to ask how you're feeling right now. And as I said, I follow you. I watch your stories every single day. How do you maintain a positive mentality whilst going through immunotherapy?
1: I mean, my go-to state is very like, I'm not like glass half empty, glass half full. I'm just like, there's water in the glass, you know, it's just like matter of fact. And so for me, it's like, this is just part of my life. I've just got to get on with it. Um, And so, That sort of is my regular state. Um, I'm not going to lie. There are some days, you know, like probably two weeks ago when I had to have immuno and uh, my immunotherapy treatment and the needle, they couldn't get the cannula in. I've got like a horrible bruise, mom. And there are some days where I'm just like, God, this isn't fair. Why me? you know, and I just, you feel a little bit sorry for yourself. It doesn't last very long. Um, and because I don't actually have any active cancer in my body at the moment, because I chopped it out and the immunotherapy is working, but I still have to go through all the treatment. Sometimes that is kind of hard to get your head around because it's like, I'm not sick, but I almost feel like I'm a sick person as well, you know what I mean? Because you're having to go through, you're tired all the time because the immunotherapy and there are all these side effects and, you know, you have to go to the hospital every two weeks. So you kind of have this mentality where it's like you, you are sick, but you're actually not at all. It's, it's a very weird limbo phase that I'm in. You know, I'm not allowed to have children for five years because, you know, of the cancer. So it's just like all these, it's very weird middle ground, especially when it's like, people are congratulating you and it's like oh my god it's so good you don't have cancer like you're supposed to be just so over the moon but then you still feel very much like you're in it and then you feel ungrateful because Mm -hmm. like actually you don't have cancer and like a lot of people don't have this opportunity and so it's it's a very hard balance in your mind because some days you're just like oh this is shit I don't want to have to go to the hospital again every two weeks and get knocked out and then have this cancer treatment and then be tired for two weeks and then have a really bad short-term memory because the immunotherapy is wrecking my memory you know and it's shitty and I get to two o'clock every day and it's hard for me to function at work and f- remember anything and can't be creative and you feel like frustrated because you don't even have cancer anymore but you've still got to do all this to make sure it doesn't come back so it is hard but at the end of the day I'm just like it is what it is just get on with it Courtney there's no point in you know there's no crying in baseball <laughs> you just
0: got to get on with it <laughs> I want to talk about your podcast you said that you have a podcast network at the start but you recently started your own solo podcast um, she was the fire what is the meaning behind that name and why did you decide to start your own solo pod
1: Um, well I think it was during um, isolation so I was just like so I'm still working but it was very different uh, schedule I guess when you're working from home as to when you're in an office um, and so I had like a bit of time uh, you know on my hands and I was doing that whole like what would I be passionate about and I listened to probably like three or four podcasts every episodes every single day and obviously I own a network so I'm very passionate about podcasts and I just thought like what if I made my Insta story content or my IGTV content longer form you know, like I feel like I'm talking about all these really serious topics with mental health and body image and, you know, cancer and all that kind of stuff. But I'm trying to cram it into like 45 seconds, you know, it's not very long, a couple of slides on Insta story. Maybe I could do something more longer form. And so then I thought like, well, I've got the microphones here, like, why not? It'd be silly not to try. And it really did resonate with people. So I think it was like quite suited to me so that was good and the name came from um this quote that I really liked from RH Sin that some women fear the fire and some women simply become it um and there was another quote about like she was the fire as well and I just I realized that when I went onto my Pinterest board when I was trying to think of a name because originally it was the court report and then I got really worried that people would think that it was like a, a law <laughs> podcast or something. <laughs> yeah um, and so I was like, oh, and then also the court report it was something that I did on my Instagram when I was talking, giving reviews about TV shows. And because it was going to turn into something a bit more serious, I thought like, oh, maybe it needs to be um, you know, a different name. And so when I went onto my Pinterest board, I realized that I had saved that quote I just told you. And also another one that said, she wasn't scared of the fire. She was the fire. I had it saved like all on these Pinterest boards. I had it saved in my Instagram. Like, obviously I didn't even realize that every time I saw this quote, I would save it. And I didn't even like know that I had a trend, but it was like everywhere through all of my social media saved items. And so I just thought, oh, that really resonates with me that like, when I got this cancer treatment, I kind of did get this fiery passion to like fix and change my life and sort of become myself, which I was kind of like not really comfortable being for, before and the reason I chose it like in the past tense was because I wanted to convey that like it's there like you always were the fire we've just got to bring it out rather than like you've got to go in and search for it somewhere you know what I mean like mm. it's, it's already within you you can just be yourself and then bring it out rather than going out externally to try and find this fire like it's in there so that's why I said she was the fire and then obviously like you know there's like I heard fire starter songs and igniting your passion. There's like lots of like branding opportunities with that too. When you own a branding agency, you think of all these things. Um, and so, you know, it just like, yeah, it was a flow on from really just a randomly stumbled across it because it was just everywhere in my
0: saved items without me even knowing. Mm, I love that. I love the name so much. And I love it now that I know why you named it. And tell us about The crown. Well, originally
1: there was this quote from Maya Angelou that I really loved and it's it's kind of in different forms all over the internet but it's basically the, the original story is that, you know, women as a whole or any kind of minorities is that like your crown has been bought and paid for you just need to wear it on your head and so when Maya Angela would talk about it she would talk about you know um the black community and then she'd also speak about women you know it's like we've we fought so hard to get where we are today and we've got the right to vote we can go out and get jobs and do our own thing and we can be independent like so you just need to now step into that and live that life. You know what I mean? Like, don't wait to be invited. It's already been sort of set up for you. Someone else has bought and paid and made all these sacrifices for us to have all these opportunities. So just go ahead and do it. And so that was kind of where the crown thing came for me. And I was trying to work a name. Around that as well, um, and I couldn't quite get there, so I just
0: decided, like, oh, I'll just combine the two and use the fire name and wear a crown. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and you recently shared a podcast on your podcast all about your cancer journey. How did that feel to have it all in one spot? Because as I was doing a little bit of stalking slash research, I did find it was your journey is scattered like someone on your Instagram. There were articles written about you someone on your blog. So how did it feel to, I guess, consolidate all of it? in a podcast episode?
1: It felt like a really hard thing to even do. And it's kind of weird because it's only been really like three years. The majority of it has happened since December last year. So it's not, you know, it's only like nine months essentially. Um, And it just felt like it was so hard to fit it into one thing. And when I sat down to write the podcast, because I usually prep, as you would know, you you prep a podcast before you get on the mic. But then when I started prepping it, I, I was then feeling all the emotions. So I was like, stop, like, you have to feel these raw emotions on the podcast. So then all I allowed myself to do was write down a timeline. Pretty much. I watched back some of my IGTVs just to remember things because my short-term memory is not the best anymore. Um, and then when I got on the podcast, on the mic, I then decided to then like really dive into everything from there. And it went for a lot longer than what I actually aired. And I realized that I was trying to cram everything into one Episode. So I was going into the fertility stuff. I was going into how I had to have conversations with family and friends. I was going into how I felt when I found out. I was going into the tests that I had to have, and it was too much. So then I just cut it all back and tried to stick it to the timeline and how I felt. And then I was like, I'll then do episodes specifically about the fertility, you know, freezing my eggs, specifically about the conversations that I had to have, specifically about the lessons that I learned. Um, And so it was uh, like, I'm not going to lie, it was definitely hard to sit. Back in it I really force myself to get try to get back into that state because I wanted this episode to be emotional because I wanted to give the impact if I'd sat there and gotten myself into like a robot state and just said I got cancer this happened people might not be as concerned about wearing SPF I wanted people to know like this is how it really felt at the time um and I have like a PET scan coming up and I just realized the date was coming up soon and the PET scan kind of checks my whole body if any cancer has grown and so I just found out that a couple of days before and so I was feeling a bit of a funk having to get that test again and worry about like you know going in to get the radiation for it and like the whole ordeal that comes with it and then the waiting game for the results you know and so I'd kind of gotten myself in a bit of a like oh god I'm scared about getting the cancer back and so I was pretty up pretty emotional when I sort of sat down to do it like obviously I'm not I, I could never fake it Um, And even some of the parts I thought, oh, I kind of want to re-record that, but I thought I won't be able to get myself into that headspace again, where it was like the real emotion. So I just left it as is and just took out some of the big chunks that could be their own episodes, I guess. Um, But yeah, I think it was good to finally have it all in one spot because unless everybody, someone had followed across my whole journey and watched every single IGTV, they were just getting bits and pieces. And you know, if you're a newer follower, you might be like, oh, it's not that big a deal. She just drops into the hospital every week and has a bit of a nap. You know, and it's like doesn't seem like that big a deal because they weren't there to see, you know, when my uncle died of cancer during the peak of my cancer and I had to sit there and watch someone else die of something that I could be dying of and had to reconcile sitting and watching what could be my reality and then i had to deal with the fact that like wow you're selfish you're making someone else's death about you and like that whole thing and you know all all the different things that come with it and then i had to i got told that i wasn't allowed to get cancer treatment until i got my eggs frozen and then having to deal with that whole you know mind fuck to really be like oh my god where am i going with this so i think it was good to have it in one spot to kind of get people like an overview of everything because you pick up followers along the way that just don't go backwards and do their research <laughs> um, like you have. So it's, um, I think it was good to get it all in one place. It felt good to get it out. I waited till I was ready to tell that story. It wasn't till like episode 16 or something. So, and I didn't want my whole podcast to be about cancer. So I didn't want to do it too early on. Um, and so, yeah, I waited till I was ready and I think like, I'm pretty happy with how it came out and the response was pretty good. So that's, yeah, I'm proud of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like I said at the start, I think it's so amazing that you're sharing it. Okay. So I have one last question and then we have our last segment, which is quick cues. Now this question is a bit of a tricky one, but if you had a magic phone, you could set it to any sort of demographic. And it would be, you could send any text, just one text, and every single person in that demographic would get it. What would you send and what would the demographic be?
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow, I feel like I really need to think about this one. Um, I think that I would, ha- How did you say how many words I have or no? It was just a text. No. Um,
0: no, I didn't give
1: you a character limit. I think, okay, it's not a tweet, so it's okay. Um, I think that I would probably send it to girls age 15 to like 25 maybe um and I would just say like your relationship with yourself is your most important relationship that you'll ever have I think that's probably what I would say I think that that's a really important thing that like young women even you know it took me a while to learn it and I'm not young so I think that it's important that people realize like that's both physically mentally and like you know everything that you're doing it's so important because like you know Your mental health is just everything and how you speak to yourself, you know, how you treat yourself, how you allow other people to treat you with your body, your mind, everything. It's just so important.
0: I love that so, so much. I wish you could have the magic phone to do that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's a cool question. (laughs) So quick cues, rapid fire, just whatever comes to your mind first. (laughs) Okay, I'm nervous. (laughs) Okay. What is your fave celeb food recreation that you have done? Um... I think it's probably Chrissy Teigen's miso carbonara. Okay, nice. I thought you were going to say the avo toast because I noticed that you've been having that a bit lately.
1: Yeah, the, the Kylie Jenner avo toast with honey is pretty good, um, but I just feel like it wasn't like that that much out the box. You know what I mean? Like it's just adding honey to an avo smash. But I feel like like an Asian with Italian influence from Chrissy Teigen's thing is just like such a unique taste and it's um, delicious.
0: Love that. Okay, books or Netflix? Netflix. Would you rather have a butler or a personal chef? Personal chef. And if you could never bath again or never have a shower again, which would you choose?
1: Never bath, definitely. I, I can't wash your hair in a
0: bath. <laughs> <laughs> bath or is it, is it? should I have said bathe? It didn't sound right, did it? Would you, <laughs> would you rather
1: never bath again? <laughs> bathe yeah but then it's also like bathe can mean like a couple of things not necessarily in a bath I guess never have a bath again or have a shower yeah I would definitely (laughs) choose not have a bath because I hate like I only ever do it very rarely I have a bath but I don't really like that whole like bathing in your own filth kind of thing and like washing your hair in there and shaving your legs is not my vibe
0: (laughs) i was so enjoyed chatting with you and i think that you're doing such an amazing job spreading the message that you are spreading and i'm going to link everything below but just quickly where can people find you um they can find me on instagram at courtney mangan
1: and on the podcast app for uh, the podcast called she was the fire amazing
0: thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me i appreciate it That wraps up another episode of the Real Health Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to see or hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at EbonyMayHealth. We also have a podcast Instagram too, which is at RealHealthPodcast. Can't wait to talk to you guys in the next episode. Until then, I wish you happiness and real health.